spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Letting our voice be heard every week. It's episode 304 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and if you get a chance to read Marvel Voices this week, or Nebula last week, you're going to love who I'm talking to. Vita Ayala rejoins the show this week to talk about so many great things that are coming, not just from Marvel, but from other stuff as well. Maybe even talking a little bit of James Bond, because you know Vita writes that as well. So much to talk about. Can't wait to catch up with Vita later on in the show. Also going to be talking about some great comics this week. Might even dive in to a little bit of more Marvel there, maybe some Wolverine, some interesting nerd news to talk about. Going to do something unconventional for this week in Geektainment. You're not going to want to miss that. And another great offer from Bespoke Post and another box of awesome that could be yours. That's all coming up this week, and it's going to start with comics. What we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Benjamin Percy, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're dragging at that long box or just hitting the power button on your digital device, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading, and it's time to bring back Wolverine, and it's kind of the perfect time to do it with with the Hickman X-Men verse going on right now. It's Wolverine number one from Marvel Comics and writer Benjamin Percy, Adam Kubert on the art, Frank Martin on the colors, and VCs Corey Pettit on the letters. Now, there's another story and here as well, which is also written by Percy, but Victor Bogdanovich is doing the art for that. Matthew Wilson on the colors and Corey Pettit once again on the letters for that. So well, let's go with the first story because we see a pretty gruesome beginning to this first issue. But it's one of those things where it's like it takes place days later. So you kind of see you know into the future a little bit. But first, we back up before that where Logan is talking to Kitty about some stolen items on shipments that, of course, she's doing in her ship, if you've been reading any of the Marauder stuff or any of the other X-Men stories that are that are out there. So if you haven't, you're going to be a little bit lost as to what the hell is going on. Now, there's also another investigation going on by the government at the same time that kind of seems like it's going to merge into the story at some point. I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's going to, but it's a real slow burn, and this government agent has a very good reason and is very invested in this for a very, very good reason. You'll find out what that is. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because I'm just thinking that this guy is going to be really motivated to solve this and let's see how far he's going to go sort of thing. Now, Logan has to track down someone that might be the reason for a major war that's upcoming. There's also another story in this oversized issue that deals with someone that shows up in Krakoa that really, really makes Logan angry. I mean, really. And you understand why once you see who it is. Now, he immediately jumps on the defensive, but it's actually Magneto that kind of backs him off, and he gets stopped, and he's like, hey, you have to find out what might have happened to this person. And this kind of leads Logan to a very famous city 
but also a very vicious and bloody encounter. I mean, that's it's pretty intense in this second story. I mean, the end of this second story could definitely send shockwaves through the rest of the X-Men stories if it plays out. That's kind of all, those are really all the details that I can give you about this issue without spoiling anything. And I mean, it's an oversized issue. I mean, you're talking almost 70 pages, I think is what I counted, or, or at least close to it. It's a big oversized issue, and it's absolutely worth it. I mean, both sets of art, though, are very uniquely amazing and very suited for the stories that they're telling. There's obviously a little bit more grit in the second one because there's a bit more intensity involved to it. And and I love how Kubert's art is very clean and smooth and lends itself to the previous story. And you, you've got to balance the two the two storylines that are going with the government investigation and also what Logan's doing as well with some very familiar faces too, I might add. And and something that he encounters in one of these stories kind of made me chuckle a little bit. I don't know if it was supposed to, but it did. And it didn't end well for them, or I should say almost didn't end well for them. But I got to tell you, this issue doesn't hold back at not only Logan's pain, but his ruthlessness as well, but seems to kind of be able to tell both sides of his story in different ways. So I really love what they did with this issue. Can't wait to read what's next. This is one I would definitely put in your pull box because even if we don't have the concurrent stories going on at the same time for every issue, even if we went back and forth, you know, with, with you know, you focus on one story one week and one, one issue and the next issue deals with another, I'd be cool with that because they're both pretty interesting and it's hard enough to get one great story, let alone two. So I love the fact that they were able to pull that off. And with Benjamin Percy, how can I be surprised? Well done, as always. Seems like forever since I've talked about a Dark Horse book, so I wanted to grab one this week and check it out. And this actually from Burger Books and Dark Horse Comics. It's Tomorrow Number 1 with writer Peter Milligan, which is one of the reasons I decided to check this book out in the first place. Jesus Hervas on the art, James Devlin on the colors, and Sal Cipriano on the letters. Now, this is about a virus that's rapidly spreading that is being transmitted in a very unique way. And I know that that's like, really, that's all you're going to give me? I That's literally all I can give you because I, I can't I can't spoil what it is because it's kind of a shocking thing. that and, the, and tomorrow is a very apt title, and you'll understand that once you find out what the virus is actually, how it's actually being transmitted and what it is. Now, we follow a couple of different sets of characters here. We have Oscar, who is a musical genius, a younger I should mention he's younger, and I wouldn't necessarily say kid, maybe, you know, young teenager sort of age range, and he does have special needs. I don't want to pinpoint it or anything like that because I don't think that's fair because it isn't called out in the issue, but clearly has has some special needs. That's getting an opportunity of a lifetime when you're younger, so we get to see how that sort of plays out, and you also have Trayvon, who is a cybersecurity expert who's caught in the middle of the virus investigation and ends up to the point where he's trying to keep his family safe. So the stories will definitely creep you out. This whole story will. But there are a little in the way of definitive answers in this first issue. Now, is that a problem? You get to kind of decide that for yourself when you read it. But we do get one significant piece of information, but everything else is still up in the air. So it's not like we get nothing in this first issue. I mean, this issue is a bit frantic, but that kind of fits the theme 
of the story itself, because anytime you're talking about outbreaks, especially something that that's killing a bunch of people quickly, and you know, I mean, you you see how there's stories about the coronavirus all over the news and all over the the internet all the time, and that is not nearly as deadly as the virus that I'm talking about in this issue. So you could only imagine, you know, multiply that times a million and think about how things would be. So for the story to be a bit frantic, I, I kind of almost think that that's a smart way to go. Normally, that would be a criticism because you know, you want some sort of, you know, I, I feel like I know where this is going. I feel like I know where I am. I feel like this is on track. This is completely off the tracks and the, and the train is rolling at this point, just just out of control. And that's kind of how this should be, I think, because if it wasn't, I mean, if it was kind of a a straight, easygoing type story that that was that was easily followed. I'm not sure that that would make a whole lot of sense. So I actually did get some some eugenic vibes from this too, as well. If you've read that from Boom Studios, I believe it's James Tynan and Eric Donovan on that one. I, I did get a little bit of vibe from that. I think it's eugenic. I'd have to go back and check. As far as not exactly the same story. The stories are, are different, but but in that they're both virus stories and they have a very unique method of transmission. Now, it's hard for me to put my finger on this one, though, because I do think it's very intriguing and very interesting. And, and obviously, we've seen virus stories before. This is this is nothing, you know, completely earth shattering. But there is certainly a different take on it, and it's certainly, you know, something that would create discussion. The art is very, very good, too, so that's not something that you have to worry about. The art by Jesus Servas is very, very solid. It's very detailed, and, I mean, I mean, even the colors from James Devlin, which are hugely important in some very soul-crushing scenes. But you have to get invested in these characters pretty early on, I think, in order to really stick around with in future issues because that's one of the things you're kind of banking on I think is you know are these characters ones that you want to follow and are these stories of the characters that you want to see through because it's going to have to be more than just about the virus so when you read this you really need to decide whether or not you're invested in these characters I'm going to keep going on this I'm I'm not going to I wouldn't drop this because I think it's 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 too good for that but at the same time, I, I need to know how invested I'm going to be in these characters in the next issue or two to decide whether I'm going to keep going. But if you are to- totally invested in these stories, you're definitely going to dig it. And the mystery is only going to unravel and only going to come unraveled here from here on out. And we'll find more answers, hopefully sooner rather than later on this one. That's going to do it from, for that's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Decided to go something a little bit unconventional and talk about hunters from amazon prime video i'm going to do the first episode we will talk a few spoilers for that too next on the down and nerdy podcast hi my name is mary mauser from cobra kai and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast the hunt is on on amazon prime video and i'm going to give a spoiler ish review of the first episode of hunters from amazon prime video before i get into that and yes there are going to be spoilers from here on out so just be ready for that if you haven't seen it yet i i do want to tell you that I, the reason i didn't get a chance to review sonic this week is i've been a bit under the weather i haven't been, i wasn't able to actually get to the theater to see it i will have a review of sonic coming up at down and nerdypodcast.com thundercats roar also starts this weekend on cartoon network i also will have an advanced review of that 
up at downandnerdypodcast.com. I was going to review that on the show this week, but I I couldn't because the, the you know the 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 embargo is what it's called the, on the review had, wasn't lifted by the time that the show was going to be up. So you know I had to hold off on that. So be looking for that at downandnerdypodcast.com. So then I land on Hunters, which is the reason I decided to review this. On the show, you might think, well, what does this have to do with nerd stuff? Well, first of all, anything historical, I think, is almost kind of fair game. And there's also a, a good mystery involved here. There's some almost some puzzles and problem solving and secret societies. And I think that that just screams, you know, n- you know, something that, you know, nerd stuff. And it, the, the fact that this the stuff that you and I love, it's very similar to that. So I thought, you know, if maybe I'm opening your eyes to something that you wouldn't be watching. Otherwise, let's talk about it a little bit. I actually want to go through the summary for this first episode before I get in. Basically, what we're talking about is renegade Nazis that have kind of infiltrated a lot of levels of America in 1970s America, late 1970s. Matter of fact, the first episode picks up in the summer of 1977. Now, uh, the the story pretty much follows Jonah Heidelbaum who is a teenager. He's not necessarily a screw-up, but he's into some variant. Like, he's a little bit of a drug dealer, and, you know, he's got a couple friends, and, you know, it's typical teenager-type stuff, and he lives with his grandmother, who is a Holocaust survivor. Now, Jonah's life is pretty much turned upside down. Now, now remember, spoilers here for the first episode, because his grandmother is murdered right in her own living room, and that's pretty much all he has at this point, right? Because he, he doesn't have his parents anymore. So his grandmother was all he really had and her name. And now at her, when they're sitting Shiva, of course, this is a Jewish family. So that makes sense. He's approached by Meyer Offerman, who is played by Al Pacino. And this is an old friend of his grandmother. So not part of the family, but a family friend. And he kind of says, you know, if you ever need anything, kid, here's my card. And Jonah becomes basically obsessed at finding out what happened with his grandmother. And you find out just how smart... First, you, you kind of think that Jonah is a reckless, screwed-up teenager, right? But as this first episode unravels... By the way, the first episode's like 90 minutes. So be ready for that if you're going to jump in on this show. So it's almost like the first episode's a movie in itself. But as as things kind of kind of maneuver, you see how smart Jonah is. And that's when you start to see these puzzles start to unravel a little bit. And you start to see him solving these things and how smart he is and how he picks up on key details. Even there's one point where he's in the police precinct and he notices something and he actually points something out in one of their cases that they clearly hadn't seen before. So he's a really, really smart kid who's just making some very reckless decisions right now because his life's been turned upside down. How could you act normally under those circumstances, right? I think that would be pretty difficult. You know, your entire world gets flipped upside down. How are you supposed to just, you know, flip that switch and and just kind of go back to being normal again? That would be really, really difficult. So you kind of see him start to figure out who it was that was responsible for killing his grandmother. And you also see him get some help from Meyer Offerman, who kind of bails him out of jail at one point. And he's finding out that Meyer knows more about his grandmother than he's telling Jonah. And that's actually for a reason. Apparently, Grandma was a bit of a badass and she was a Nazi hunter of her own. And that's when he kind of finds out that that's, you know what, there's there's his secret society 
of Jewish people that are out there hunting Nazis that have infiltrated certain levels of America, and they're going to take them out, and for good reason. And there's also, on a side note of this, you get to see the Nazi side of this as well. And this is kind of a spoiler for the end of the episode, where they're trying to basically create a Fourth Reich in America, it right there in America. So you not only do you have these hunters that are trying to track them down, you've got a government investigation that's involved in this as well. But here's the thing. The government has to kind of investigate both sides of this thing because they don't know, you know, who's on the side of right or wrong. All they know is there are dead bodies and they need to figure out exactly what's going on here with these dead bodies. And that's kind of where Jerrica Hinton's character comes in, who is sort of an FBI investigator. I should mention that she's African-American. So 1970s African-American who is in the FBI how do you think she'd be treated? And being a woman doesn't help either, but you know that's not going to stop Millie Morris from trying to get to the bottom of these cases. She's basically sent to Florida, like sent they sent her away so you know she wouldn't bother them anymore, sort of at her field office. And they thought they were throwing her kind of a nothing case of a death of a NASA chemist. Turns out it's a heck of a lot more than that when they find a picture that is kind of talked inside of a Bible, and it looks like one of the death that she's investigating may be of one of these Nazis, and she just doesn't know it yet as of this first episode. So you kind of see how all of these things are going to eventually come together. Now, I'm not going to give you more about the episode itself, but I will talk about some of the individual performances because they are pretty amazing. I got to say that that Logan Lerman's portrayal of Jonah is absolutely amazing in what he does. And you just see how the pain just oozes out of him. And, you know, losing the only person that you have in your family, you, you know, how would you expect somebody to react, right? But the way he just wears that on his sleeve and the way he, that it all gets portrayed is, is pretty incredible. Actually, it's so well done. And man, are you going to hate Dylan Baker's character of Biff Simpson, which we kind of see right at the beginning of the episode. And there's a shocking scene in the first, what, I want to say 15 minutes, maybe not even that, of this show that really sets the tone for what things are, are about and what's really going on here. And it's pretty shocking, if you, especially if you don't know what's coming, because I kind of didn't. I mean, you know what the show's about going in, but I didn't see what was about to happen coming, and that is the crazy part about how this show really starts out. So this, you want to talk about a show that grabs you right away. It's pretty intense right off the bat, and it doesn't really let up after that. And you get to hear stories about what happened during the Holocaust. And, and you know, without doing a deep dive into history, there was one particular story about a, a, a general that will meet in this first episode and what he did to some of his Jewish, the, the, some of the Jewish people that were captured in his Nazi camp. It was one of the most brutal things that I've ever seen and ever. It's one of the worst stories ever. As far as you see it, not only do you get to hear the story, you get to see how it plays out and the horror of what is going on in front of you 
in this episode is one of those things you're not going to be able to unsee. You know how there's certain scenes in movies and, and TV shows where you're like, I'll probably never forget this because of either how amazing it is or how horrible it is. And when I say horrible, I'm not saying it was it was done poorly. I'm just saying that that it's a shocking thing to see. And it was so shocking that maybe shocking is a better word that I don't think I'm going to be able to forget this. And it makes your blood boil. It makes you so angry at what you're seeing. And it really sets the tone for, well, why wouldn't you want, you know, why wouldn't these hunters want these Nazis dead, right? So, you know, how else would they, how else would you want them to react? And you, it really makes you, I mean, this happened in front of some of their own eyes. And that's something that needs to be pointed out. Now, not all of them, because some of them are a little bit younger, but you'll understand what's going on. And some of this, some of it's just really damn uncomfortable to watch because you know this is based on it. It's based on stuff that actually happened in history. Obviously, with, with the Nazis, it's not you know completely shot for shot a historical adaptation. Obviously, but it's based on historical events, and you can only imagine the horrors that some people have seen. And and you know you've learned about the Holocaust throughout your life at some point, whether it be in school or after that through through any number of documentaries or whatever. It was horrific. There's no other way to describe it, really. I mean, use whatever word you like. It was terrible. And we've seen so many shows and movies talk about this subject matter. And normally, and I've said this in the past, and I'm willing to admit that, when I, especially when I've talked about comics and things, I'm like, really? We're talking about Nazis again. We're doing this again. But there was something about this show that drew me to it. And I think it was the the aspect of, you know, it, it, it was happening later on. It wasn't actually taking place during the Holocaust or during World War II. It was many years later. And now we're finding out that there are Nazis that are, you know, finding safe haven in America. And why the hell should they have safe haven? They don't deserve that let's hunt them down sort of thing. So it's it was very interesting to see how this was put together and how it was adapted for this time. And it is a period piece too, by the way, which which I love. And it's not a modern day thing. This is very much a piece that is set in the 70s for a reason. And I think that that was really the only way to do it because I'm not sure it would have played out as well if you're doing this in 2020. All I'm, without pointing out too many more details, the, the, the performances by individual actors, of which there are too many to even name, the, the few I named especially were amazing. The individual performances are very, very good. I don't really want to talk beyond the first episode, but it's very necessary for this first episode to be as long as it is to really set the stage and make you understand, A, not only what's going on, but B, the different angles, and there's three of them, that we're taking this story on from because there's actually one of the one of like there's a Nazi enforcer in this in this first episode and you see how kind of they're trying to manipulate things behind the scenes to get the rise of their fourth Reich in America which is almost just saying that out loud turns my stomach so it, it it's incredible to see how and and how passionate they are about this too that's part of this story and that's what's one of the things probably going to make you angry is how passionate they are about this cause and to think that that is a thing so th- there's so many different emotions you're going to have when you're watching this show 
And again, it, to me, it this the way the story is presented. If you like nerd stuff and you like comics and you like you know mysteries that are being solved and just you know tracking down these Nazis and this is a this is a story that doesn't try to fit into multiple genres but does anyway because it piques the interest of of people that love so many different things that this is not directly related to and I hope that makes sense when you watch Hunters on Amazon Prime Video all episodes available now and I got to tell you, I can't wait. I'm not finished with the series yet, but what I've seen so far, I- I'm hooked. I'm locked in, even though it's brutal and it's hard to watch at times for obvious reasons. I can't wait to dive into the rest because where this thing is going, who knows? And I can't wait to see how it all comes together. This week, the Dan and Nerdy Podcast is once again brought to you by Bespoke Post and their box of awesome. I love my dim box so much to help set up my smart home lighting system. It's so easy to control the lights in my house now that I had to get a second box. This time I decided to try the dry box because I'm not a drinker. I don't, you know, I don't drink alcohol, but, you know, I'm still curious about, you know, trying cocktails, you know, sharing cocktails with my wife as well. So you get the dry box and it comes with the zero proof whiskey. It even comes with a book on on how to tell you how to make all these amazing cocktails. I got some sugar cubes in there, some bar cherries, and I was good to go. So I've been enjoying my beverages ever since. And I'm even, you know, I've been trying to experiment with a few others as well. And this is some of the things that your box of awesome can get you. I mean, you got grooming goods. You can have cooking tools that can be a part of this, some outdoor gear, as well, and it's easy to get started. You you you're not sure what you might be interested in? They can help you out with that. Go to boxofawesome.com. And you answer a few quick questions. You take a fun little quiz, and then right there, let let you know what new boxes are available for you every month in a bunch of different categories. Forty five bucks a month, but it has seventy dollars worth of gear in it. We can help you out with that though. Go to boxofawesome.com and enter code DNPOD. For your 20% off your first box. It's really free and easy to sign up. You can skip a month, cancel anytime. They're not here to send you stuff that you don't already want. That much I could tell you for sure. As a matter of fact, I'm already I've already got my eye on some of the new boxes that are on the website right now. The swagger box, because I'm a big socks guy. And then I'm also looking at that cantina box. As well, very, very tempting. So hopefully you're already going to boxofawesome.com, entering promo code DNPOD at checkout. Get 20% off your first box, and you'll find out just why they call it a box of awesome. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Hunters from Amazon Prime Video. Up next, something going on in the Arrowverse. We'll discuss that and much more nerd news. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cam Rush Johnson from the cast of Batwoman. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Apparently now is not the best time to be a canary, but it is time for nerd news. And I'm going to start in the Arrowverse because here's something I actually did not expect. And it ended up on social media, and I, I believe it was Twitter. And that is that Green Arrow and the Canaries has not yet been ordered to series. Now, this was kind of confirmed in a weird way by Beth Schwartz, who was the showrunner for Arrow, 
who was addressing a report that was on Twitter that, you know, production offices had opened in Vancouver and, and you know, Green Arrow and the Canaries was ordered to series. And she says that that is that she, you know, she wishes I'm paraphrasing there like she wishes that this were true and saying that the show's not been ordered to series just yet. Now, this is kind of a surprise because, you know, you put your backdoor pilot in the final season of Arrow, which is almost like a flagship. I mean, you want to call it a flagship show for not just the Arrowverse, but the network itself. I don't think that that's really a stretch considering where the network is now. You kind of almost thought that this was just as much of a foregone conclusion as Superman and Lois to just be moving forward to series. Now, I don't want any fans to overreact because basically where we're at is it's a not yet sort of situation that you know the pot the fall pilot season isn't even here yet we're, we're still waiting on on pickups and things like that it, this is not something that, that that's that should have been done already you know we got superman and lois got the earl of vote of confidence and that is awesome but don't think that it's out of the ordinary that this has not been announced to series yet because the cw kind of has limited options and they need to figure out where exactly this show is going to go, and they've got some other shows that they're excited about that they want to debut as well. Now, does that mean that Green Air and the Canary shouldn't take precedent over that? Maybe it should. But at the same time, you know, that you're trying to plan things out the right way. You need to find out, you know, if it can be fall, if you're going to have to do this mid-season, if it's going to replace another series, if there's some series that are on the bubble, what, what day do you put it on, what time? There's a whole bunch of things to consider here. So don't think that this is all doom and gloom. Just because it hasn't already been announced that it is a straight-to-series order, this is, to me, a, a good wait-and-see situation to see what happens. Because I don't think—it doesn't seem dire yet. I mean, certainly, you know, we're going to put the caution bulb up on this one, but I don't think it's dire just yet. I think we kick back and wait, and everything will be just fine. But if you're a fan of Brandon Routh, it is not fine. Because you know that Brandon Routh, Ray Palmer, is going to be leaving— DC's Legends of Tomorrow, along with Nora Dark, his real-life wife, by the way, that plays Nora Dark. And apparently, this was not Brandon's decision, as he made a comment to a fan's comment on one of his posts on Instagram. And the, and the fan, basically, fan basically said, you know, Brandon, you could just choose not to leave. And he said, quote, not my choice, and made the sad face emoji. Now, I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying this. I'm a huge Brandon Routh fan. If you wanted to stay on the show forever, I wouldn't be sad because I like Brandon Routh. I like the characters that he plays. I like Ray Palmer. And and, and if Brandon Routh is in something, I'm more than likely at least going to check it out just because he's in it because that's the kind of Brandon Routh fan that I am. At the same time, just to play devil's advocate here, I kind of feel like they've done all they can with this character of Ray Palmer. You got you, You're finally going to give him... His happy ending, hopefully with Nora. I mean, it certainly seems that's the way things are trending. You're going to give him his happy ending. He's going to finally, finally find love after... It's been an, it's been a difficult ride, whether it was Felicity or whether it was Hawkgirl, all kinds of different stuff. It's, it's been kind of difficult for Ray Palmer, right? So hopefully he finds his happily ever after in Nora Dark like he wants to. But you know, but then you know, I don't think that that means that they're gone forever either. It's not like they're killing them off. But it just seems like to me, how much further could you go 
with this character, especially the way that it is now. There's really not a whole lot. Uh, there's not a whole lot to to build on there to do anymore with that character. And that's not you know right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just the fact that okay, you've kind of done all you could do. He doesn't really suit up anymore. We we saw him in the Adam suit earlier this season, but we haven't really seen him much after that. He's still you know, an amazing scientific mind, and that's important for the show as well. But at the same time, it's like, where do you go from here with this character storyline-wise? I'm just not sure that there's anything that still needs to be done. So is this a good time for him to exit? Again, as a Brandon Routh fan, no, it's never a good time for him to go anywhere because I'd want him to stay on the show forever. But at the same time, I think that this story has run its course, and I think that this was the right time to move on, but hopefully we will see him come back from time to time. Speaking of moving on, it looks like they have moved on from a Doc Savage live action movie, but now have decided to go to the small screen. This report by Deadline that Sony TV is going to be making a live action Doc Savage series with original films and also going to be teaming up as well with Condé Nast, who is who is part of this project as well. Now, this is actually part of a deal with Original Films and Sony Television to kind of, kind of partner up and do stuff like this. And, I, you know, if you want to know who's involved, you can go to downandnerdypodcast.com. I don't want to just, you know, give you a laundry list of producers here. But this is something, keep in mind, it's been in development Kind of since before the podcast, this podcast even even was founded. This has been back in 2013. Then remember, they finally got Dwayne and the Rock Johnson to sign on in 2016, and then you kind of haven't heard anything about it until now, when it looks like things are going towards the direction of a series, and that is Neil H. Moritz, who is one of the executive producers on the project and has kind of been around forever on this thing and original films kind of thought, you know, maybe this would work better as a TV series. And, and I don't want to go into, you know, who's going to be cast or anything like that. I think it's really premature to even think about casting, but I do agree that absolutely 100% this works better as a series. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, I'm kind of partial to TV and I realize that I'm, I'm saying that because I genuinely think that is the right thing to do for this character. I just think that, you know, the long-form storytelling that TV can provide can let you do a lot with Doc Savage, and there's a lot to explore there. You, you don't even necessarily need big bads. You just need big things that are going to be happening in the first place, and then you're good to go. So, and now remember, Dwayne The Rock Johnson being involved in 2016 that probably means, and I'm not going to say this definitively because you know you just never know. I just don't see him sticking around for this television series, mainly because he just doesn't have time to play the Man of Bronze in a in a small screen setting. You you know movies tend to be you know you, you know they're over and then you got to promote them, sure, but at the same time, it just seems like you know there's less shooting involved when you're talking about. A movie and a, and as busy as Dwayne the Rock Johnson is, that would be a, a TV series would be a big commitment. I know he did Ballers on HBO, so it's not like he's opposed to doing TV series. But this one, eh, I don't know. 
I don't know that we're going to see him be a part of this one. And I think, you know, it's too early to speculate as to who could be cast. Let's see if this is going to be actually end up being a series that's ordered first. And then we'll worry about that after that. But if you want to feel a little bit better about this, it was original film that was one of the studios that was responsible for bringing for bringing to Amazon Prime Video the boys. So there you go. If you're if you were worried all, at all about what original films was bringing to the table, now you know because they are the ones responsible, or at least I should say they're partially responsible because there's way more to it than that. They are one of the reasons that that succeeded as well as it did. And to have them now be attached, this project as well makes perfect, perfect sense to me. Speaking of things that it seems like some people think make sense anyway, and that we're finally getting, and that is Netflix is going to be adding a Diablo animated series and Overwatch series as well to a unreleased Network And this was first reported by Forbes, and I don't know how the hell they found this, but apparently someone noticed a change in the LinkedIn profile page for co-president of Activision Blizzard Studios, Nick Van Dyke. And that basically, without reading the thing, again, up and down in nerdypodcast.com, it, it basically talks about, you know, he's kind of like updating his resume, saying, oh yeah, I was the executive producer on a Diablo anime, anime series for Netflix, and I'm also going to be the executive producer of a Batwoman, excuse me, a Batgirl animated series. And, and you know, somebody caught that and went, huh? And that's exactly where we're at right now. I got to tell you, a anime version of Diablo really, really has the chance to look freaking insane. Let powerhouse animation studios do this. We saw what they did for Castlevania, which is going to be coming out in the beginning of March. We kind of are anticipating what they're going to be doing with Kevin Smith in his Masters of the Universe He-Man adaptation. We know that they can bring the striking visuals and just let the rest take care of itself because Diablo is one of those things where it's going to look spectacular and that might just end up being enough for you. And as far as Overwatch is concerned, perfect for an animated series. Don't necessarily need to do anime. Make it fun. Make it quirky. Make it a little bit weird, and I think that you're going to get all ages, despite what the rating might be, you're going to get all ages. They're going to end up watching this show as a result. So we'll have to go ahead and see how this whole thing plays out in the upcoming weeks and months because no release dates have been given for that or really any of the things that I've talked about so far, apparently. Eli Roth is a name that you probably know because he's made some pretty seriously scary movies. And now, according to Deadline, he is going to be working on a Borderlands movie with Lionsgate. Production is actually going to begin later this year, so they are not going to mess around at all. And and again, Eli Roth sort of has this reputation, you know, with movies like Hostel and Cabin Fever and stuff like that. But then... You forget that he actually also did The House with a Clock in Its Walls with Jack Black and the Death Wish movie with Bruce Willis as well. So, I mean, there's certainly some hits and misses in there for Eli Roth, but I don't think fans really care that much because, you know, there's already chatter about, you know, 
wanting to make sure that Handsome Jack in this, is in this movie and exactly what we're going to be doing, you know, where the story is going to go. I mean, I don't know a ton about Borderlands because I haven't really gotten a chance to play Borderlands a whole lot. But, you know, I'm sure that we're going to be we're going to be on Pandora probably, right? You know, you're, are we going to be hunting down vaults? Who knows? We could be like looking at like some sort of a Mad Max type of situation here with this movie. And, but it's it's just going to be very interesting to see how this whole thing plays out, because I think that this does work as a movie more so than a TV series, because you've got three games now. You could certainly stretch this out into multiple movies if it's, if it's successful, right? But this is one of those things where I don't think you would want this to play out in a TV series because I think it would drag on. So to, ha- to have this be a feature film, I think is a good idea. I mean, whether or not it'll be successful, I mean, who knows? Because you know, you've still got to get the casting right. You've still got to pick the right story. You might even just do an original story too as well. It's not like It's not like Roth has to go with what's canon in the video games, right? So I think we still got a ways off, even though it's going to be sh- be shooting later on this year. I think we still got a little bit of ways off for this. So I, I'm very curious to see what that first trailer is going to be like, because if the trailer is as fun as the game looks, then I think we'll be okay. It's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, going to talk to Vita Ayala about a lot of amazing Marvel comics and more. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Seems like it doesn't matter who the publisher is. You've got something in your catalog from Vita Ayala. It's been a wonderful 2019, 2020 shaping up pretty well as well as it looks like. we got Marvel Voices, Nebula. So how about we talk to Vita Ayala right now? Vita, welcome back to the show. How you doing? All good, all good. It's a, a beautiful morning finally in New York, so I'm feeling great. <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of an up and down weather year anyway, for sure. Definitely. So last time you were on the show, Livewire just come out, and since then you've had so many amazing things happen. Talk about what a whirlwind 2019 it was for you. Looking back on it, I can't believe how incredible it was. You know, when you're in it and you're working, you you don't really see the forest for the trees. You have your head down and you're on the grind, but... I have this little shelf sitting behind me in my in my workspace, and it has all of the single issues that I've done. And I'm like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> like, when did this happen? <laughs> I always joke and say I work so much because I have to pay rent in Brooklyn, which is, nice. you know, partially Not true. There. But the truth of it, hey, you know, New York prices. But the truth of it is that I... I have a hard time saying no because I am so excited to be able to do anything and work in this industry that I love so much. So I'm always like, yes, I'll, I'll do that. And then looking back on, on last year, I'm like, oh, I hope people aren't getting tired of me. <laughs> Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, let's talk about one of the things you said yes to, and that was Nebula. Now, when I reviewed the first issue, I was talking about how, you know, going in, I wasn't sure what kind of Nebula we were going to get. Did you did you all toy with the idea of whether or not to go the villain route or the anti-hero route, given what happened with Endgame? I think that what they wanted to do, and and they were very clear uh, when they asked me to pitch on the book, uh, they wanted to make sure that we were still working within the sliding scale, loose continuity of the comics, but they wanted it to be, you know, a book that would highlight what makes that Nebula really cool. Uh, And I I really love a good villain. (laughs) I always have. They're, they're just so much, like, they're so much more fun than heroes, for the most part. And so 
you know, they sent me a bunch of research to do and I got to kind of look at the whole of what the comics Nebula was about and go, all right, here's, here's what I want to highlight and here's the things I want to do. So I think I like cheated a little and split the difference because I, I don't want to give away spoilers if people haven't read it, but there is a component in which we take, we take her out of her element in a very real way so I could play around with who the character is at the core, but I did want to start in that villain in that villain mode because she's she's such a gnarly villain and it's just so fun. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that actually, kind of given how the first issue ended, and obviously I don't want to spoil that because it's, it's a big one. Do you feel like this is your chance to really take the character in a completely different direction? I think my biggest desire, or the thing that I wanted to explore the most was why Nebula ended up being the way that she was. Um, and I don't just mean like through flashbacks. I, I, I think that I wanted to examine holistically, like what could make a person become so vile? <laughs> she's pretty vile. She's oh, like yeah. a space pirate, but in the old way. Oh right? yeah, and in this issue, especially um, vile. And, I will say that. Oh my gosh, yeah. I I was a little afraid. I was pushing it too far, and my editor was like, "No, keep going." I was like, "All right." <laughs> oh, that's like the evil twist of the knife. Do it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, is this? I actually I had again not getting into specifics, but I it was a little softer the way that she was doing what she was doing in the beginning. And my editor was like, I don't know. I just feel like you could push this. I feel like Nebula would would be a lot more like intense. And I was like, all right, well, this is like the really messed up version. And he was like, excellent, let's do that. That's the way to go. But yeah, I, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. I just love talking about Nebula. No, you got it. Nah, you got it. We, we, we covered it. And we we're good. But there's one thing I do want to move on to that, that was in this issue. Minor spoiler, but I won't give away any details. You have an all-seer system that she's after in this issue. And it was really cool how, how that whole thing played out. But I want to talk about the art for a second because the way that it played out, not just the way you wrote it, but visually how you brought it to life, how cool was that to be able to do that? I didn't even know if it was going to be possible. So I had ideas and I, you know, I put them in the script and I, I talked to, to Claire and, and, and Mike, the line artist and the colorist. And I was like, I really don't understand how to communicate exactly what I want because it's a feeling. So here's what I'm kind of thinking would be cool. And then they took it and ran with it. I, Claire is incredible across the board, but Mike, I think for the all seer view in particular, like more than nailed it. He blew it out of the water. Like to, to take a very vague, like this is kind of what I wanted to feel like, I don't know. And to make it something that is very clear. Like I, when I got the, the finished art back, like I opened it, and I was like, I don't need words on this page. I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like I know exactly what's happening, and I thought it was so so cool. So seeing it come to life was really incredible, um, and that's really all down to Claire and to Mike, honestly. <laughs> Talking to Vidya Ayala, who of course is right. Oh, and Travis, that... I'm sorry. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we can't forget <laughs> the Travis. letterer is a huge part of it. Yeah, like yeah. It, the the like I wasn't I I try and include like notes for letters just because they do so much of the heavy lifting. Um, especially connected to like what I do. And so I, I was like, I don't know, like, do we think we could do something cool with that? And Travis is like, bet I got this and just absolutely nailed it. Nice. Nice. And as a matter of fact, the second issue is going to be coming out on March the 11th as well. But I want to talk about a couple more things that you've been doing as well, because you've gotten a really cool opportunity to write Morbius lately, which is, which is very, very interesting, especially since, you know, the first trailer for the movie has come out and everything. So as someone who's writing the character, what are some of the things that you think this movie has to get right to be a success, in your opinion? I think that because he hasn't had a 
as far as I can remember, hasn't had like a movie or a show of his own. Like I know he's guest starred in other like motion picture stuff, but not of his own. I think that you really have to nail him being sympathetic as a person because the things that he does are really messed up. Like, and he ends up, you know, this is a spoiler that is like 50 years old. So, yeah, <laughs> but he ends up okay. <laughs> causing the death of his best friend because of his quest to do a thing and because he's being unsafe about it and because he's insisting on undoing things in kind of a wild west science kind of way. Mm -hmm. And if you don't already care about him, I think you lose people right there. I think it's really hard to be sympathetic with someone who's causing lots of death if you don't already know who they are as a person. That's so a I think they really too, have to. Yeah. It is very difficult, especially for a character like Morbius, because he has been a villain as often as he's been, you know, a good guy. Yeah, I think they got to get that. And I also think that, like, this is just a me thing. Uh, I'm a big sci-fi head, and I, you got to, whatever your made-up science is, believe it and go with it. Like, yeah, don't... there you go. <laughs> don't half-ass that. You really just, like, you can make it up, but you have to make me believe Own it. Own your made-up science, people. Yes. Do this. Be consistent in your own, like, BS. <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome, awesome. Now, you've got another really cool story coming up, and, and that's in the issue of Marvel Voices, which is going to have a ton of great stories and creators involved in it as well. What was it like working on that, and what can you actually tell us about your story? That was a lot of fun. It was an opportunity to work uh, with my collaborator for Children of the Atom, Bernard Cheng, who's uh, incredible, incredible what he does. And I was like, all right, this is our test run. This is to see, you know, how I can best like serve him in the script and stuff. And uh, it was the like, usually four page stories are very stressful because you have to have a beginning, middle and end oh, in yeah. such a short amount of space. It was so, with him, it was so effortless. And he... You know, he and I have spoken outside of like scripting and we've called each other or whatever. And I love the way that his mind works. I love knowing that we're actually on the same page about a lot of stuff and that I can give him like weird dynamic, like bombastic stuff and he's just going to nail it. But also like these small like character moments and he's going to nail it. So, yeah. And as far as what I can tell you about the story, it is fun. I, I wanted to do something that would be a lot of fun that wasn't sad because I knew that there would be, you know, it's a, this is a, an anthology full of incredible, you know, creators. And some of them are going to really get into the meat of what makes humanity, humanity. I was like, I'm going to give a little levity. <laughs> let's, let's do a little fun. So it's basically imagine of, uh, it's a race between major nations in the world. They have to bring their best science and race. So it's, uh, the people that we follow our forge of Krakoa and Shuri of Wakanda, and it's basically them, like, doing a Speed Racer-style race through the world. Kind of thought this would be Shuri involved. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> that was my guess, but I had to ask. I love Shuri. I love Shuri so much. I, uh, You know, it's also, like, if I'm given the opportunity to work with characters, there are some characters that I always go back to. Like I said, I'm a sci-fi head. I love, you know, to me, Wakanda is is basically cyberpunk, like, it's a contemporary cyberpunk, so I, I will play with anyone from Wakanda if you give me the chance. The only regret that I have is that because it was so short, I couldn't throw in my son, Miles Morales, but yep. maybe next time. Yeah, you, <laughs> Well, the opportunities are, are maybe there. You never know, right? Never know. <laughs> so this is maybe the shortest question I've ever asked in an interview, and I'm going to go ahead, and I know that you're perfect <laughs> for this. Who's your next James Bond? My next James Bond in, like real life am i predicting or yes. is it my yeah. wish no your wish i want I, well i think we 
we kind of see where it might be going, but I want your wish. So just based on the trailers, I'm going to try and be a little more grounded instead of doing my like my big wish. Uh, based on the trailers, I would actually love to see Lashana Lynch do it. <laughs> now, do you want her as 007 or James Bond? I want her. You're right. Okay. That's a good distinction. I would like her as 007. James Bond? Who would I cast as James Bond? I'm totally down for Lashana Lynch's 007, by the way. So we can, we can just go ahead and just we can call that. <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah, but I, I, like I, I that. want that desperately, uh, especially with James Bond being on the back foot because yes. he doesn't have his number anymore. Right, I think that's exactly. a great setup. I have always said two people, but I'm going to take them back. I usually say Gillian Anderson or Idris Elba. I'm taking it back. Uh, I love them both. They're both great. I want to see Emily Blunt as James Bond. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Here's why. I don't know if you saw Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Her guns are in insane <laughs> like they are bananas and what she does what she's proven that she can do is she has this incredible acting range she can be very physical and that is super important to james bond but she also looks good in a suit and i just feel like pulling those things together with that beautiful accent and that those eyes i think the eyes are also very important to james bond those mm-hmm. eyes she could charm a room in a second so i think that my new my new one is emily blunt I hadn't even considered that because I was pretty much in team Idris Elba or we riot. But now that you say that and I picture it, I it's hard not to unsee it. <laughs> I love Idris Elba, and if they if they cast Idris Elba, bless. Like I will be there opening night. I will have extra tickets. Like do not get me wrong, but I think that I don't know, man. Just Emily Blunt in a suit is <laughs> it's too good to like. It's too good. That would be too good. Now, I, this is kind of a broad stroke question. But, I mean, you've got so much going on with so many amazing publishers. I want to try not to leave anything out. So I'm just going to kind of open up the floor to you. Can you actually tease anything else for us that's coming up that we might not know about or might not know enough about? Ooh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's funny because I'm looking at my schedule and I think everything that I'm working on has been announced. So I guess the thing that I, you don't know very much about is uh, Children of the Atom, which is the book, the X-Men book that I'm doing with Bernard Chang. And without giving too much away, uh, I think that that's going to be a fun book. I think that Bernard has an incredible understanding of not just superhero books, but of teenagers. Uh, his Teen Titans run is absolutely gorgeous. And he has a really good understanding of kind of the drama that comes with teenagers, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And one of the things that I love about X-Men just in general that I've always loved is that it's a soap opera with superpowers. And we really want to get into what it would be like if we had kids from right now as X-Men. We want, we want it to be as, you know, like as real as possible. We want it to be messy, but we want it to be fun. Again, I can't give away too much, but I think that that's the thing I really hope people like it. At the very least, it's going to look gorgeous. <laughs> there's no doubt about that, and there's so many great things that you're doing. As a matter of fact, my suggestion to, to you all is you go to marvel.com, type in Vita Ayala's name, and all the wonderful books that Vita's worked on are going to be right there for you, including Nebula, which the second issue will be in your local comic book shops and digitally on March the 11th. Don't forget about James Bond and a whole bunch of other stuff that Vita's doing as well. Vita Ayala, thank you so much for joining me this week. Yeah, thank you for having me. I remember the first time I met Vita Ayala at DC and DC, just kind of coming up in the ranks. 
Hadn't really written anything for the big two yet, and now Vita has done so many amazing things and writing so many incredible stories for Marvel, whether it be X-Men or Nebula, Marvel Voices, you name it. Vita Ayala has probably written it or is going to be writing it at some point. So if you don't have enough Vita Ayala stories in your pull box, I suggest you change that because you can see how passionate Vita is, not just for sci-fi, not just for Marvel, but for a lot of characters as well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thank you so much to Vita Ayala for joining me this week to talk about Nebula, Marvel Voices, James Bond, and a whole bunch of other great stuff. You want to find out more great stuff or hear my previous interview, interviews, I should say, with Vita, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You'll find them up there. Also, make sure you're following us on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Go to boxofawesome.com as well to get 20% off your first monthly subscription box from Bespoke Post by entering code D-N-P-O-D. You get 20% off of your box of awesome. And there are a ton of amazing boxes to choose from. I love mine. I know you'll love yours as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.